When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week on Barca Talk, Gomes is sad, Busquets is injured, but Rakitic fills in nicely. We have a question from Norway and an interview from Fresno, California. Both the Femini and Barca B drew, while the first team is going ahead in the Champions League and maintaining the undefeated streak in La Liga. So, vamos hablamos. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk, a podcast for FC Barcelona fans. I'm Brian Henderson, one of your hosts, joining you from Buffalo, New York, and joining me from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother. What is going on? Episode 70 here. I'm a little under the weather still, Brian, and I'm a little sad about it. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, I haven't been able to shake this cough off. I feel like I'm getting pneumonia now or something. My co- my lungs are – I just yesterday I was having lunch, and I had to leave the restaurant because I just couldn't stop coughing. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that must have been very embarrassing for you. It was. It was a little bit embarrassing, but it was okay. <laughs> I, I was able to deal with it, you know. Nothing a uh, green beer won't solve, right? Certainly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you do anything for St. Patrick's Day there in Spain? I, Is that a thing? Well, I tried, <laughs> but uh, it was very underwhelming, Brian. I tried to uh, lasso up some friends for St. Patrick's Day, and it just did not come to fruition. I was out you know, for a while, but I just could not get the momentum going. So my good friend used to always say he had a really good motto for the nightlife he would always say, don't chase the night. So last night I did not chase the night, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> don't chase the night. Is there a way we could call this episode, don't chase the night, and have that make sense? <laughs> we can try. I can try to. We can yeah, try. I can try to loop it in somehow, you know? It's a good saying. It is a good saying I'm... because he would always say, you know, there's going to be another party. There's going to be another time. You don't have to go chasing the night. And I just always take that to heart because, you know, sometimes you just got to throw in the towel and just go home. Yeah, don't let FOMO get you down. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today, actually. Um, I was going down, I was running down the show notes, and wow, do we have a lot to talk about. So I think we should just get into it. Uh, so as long as you feel up for it, let's let's get going with this this first story. We talked about this a little bit, actually, last Monday. But uh, the, the magazine Panenka interviewed Andre Gomes. And uh, it came out in their March issue just last week where Gomes talks about how he hasn't been doing well at Barcelona. He says he feels good in training. His teammates are behind him. They get along well. The coaches are all behind him. He does well in training. But then in the game, he doesn't feel good. 
And of course, we see how that has affected his performances in in games. And he says that he's he's thinking too much. He's inside his head, and with all the whistles, he's he starts to get you know it just starts to compound. And I mentioned how we talked about this on Monday. We talked about that on our our Monday video on Patreon. But I wanted to retouch upon that because both on Wednesday and then Sunday, when Gomes came on in the Chelsea game and the Athletic game, he got a big applause from the fans. And at least in the Chelsea game, every time he was on the ball, the fans cheered for him. So clearly, you know, a lot of people read this story. It wasn't just in this magazine. It was also in, it was featured sort of in sport and other places. You know, like word had gotten out that he was feeling this way. And I feel like the Barca fans are, at least for the moment, giving him some support and trying to encourage him. What what do you think about all this? Oh my gosh. I have a lot to say about this, Brian. Uh <laughs> See, I knew I knew we would have a lot to talk about you today. Know, the first thing <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is that we should have never signed him. For me, I just didn't think he was a Barca type player. So let me just get that out of the way. You know my feeling, Brian. I I don't like him as a player, right? I don't think he fits our style and it's just all about that. The style of Barca doesn't fit him and so he's not able to play freely so you wrote this up and I said okay you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go on YouTube again and I'm gonna watch the Valencia when he was in Valencia just to make sure you know I'm not crazy with this idea that I knew he was a good player back then I just wanted to reaffirm that right so I went back and I saw some YouTube videos and sure enough he looked free You know, he looked like a different player playing with confidence. Um, He definitely had more goals. You know, I have the stats here, right? So Valencia in two seasons, he had a total of seven goals. Okay. But also, he also played close to 5,000 minutes and that's 63 matches, right? So obviously he was a starter. He was getting a lot of playing time, but also the most important thing was Valencia's style was more suited for Andres Gomes, where it was more direct. Uh, he would do a move here and that, and then he would use his speed to do to break away. Now, in his last two years with Barca, he's only had about 2,064 minutes with three goals, and obviously his apparent appearances have been going down. Now, I just think it's really just about style, about the way we want our midfielders to pass back, hold play, possess. It just doesn't suit him. Now, that's great that the Kules are supporting him and so forth, and as I have here – it is now Andres Gomes' turn to contribute because he was honest enough to, you know, let the audience or the supporters know how he's feeling. And that was really brave of him. You know, not many players would do that, you know, how he was feeling and how he was um, not doing well in Barcelona. And obviously the Kules came back and with lots of support on Twitter and so forth. But now Andres Gomes has to contribute. It's his turn. You know, this is, you know, he said, okay, this is how I feel. Kool-Aid said, okay, great. We're going to support you. But at the same time now, when he comes into games, he's got to perform and he's got to score some goals or do something more than what he's doing. Yeah, he's got to make an assist. He has to make a key pass. He has to score a goal, something. Exactly. And when I was watching the Valencia plays, he's able to do that. So it's just a matter, you know, it's the combination of him being in the right, um, you know, position and also putting his talents where it's going to benefit him the most. Now, for example, with Busquets being injured, I mean, I would mind seeing him being in the Busquets role, but I don't see Val Green taking a chance with that. I just think he's going to use Rakitic. But, I, you know, in our system, I just – I don't think he – you know, he just doesn't fit our system. And unfortunately, he's just not 
been playing well. So that's just my opinion on that. You know, that's great that they're supporting him, but now he really has to use that support and play better and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. I actually completely agree with you. Uh, I don't think that he's necessarily doomed at Barcelona. Like he might be able to find his way in and figure out a way to perform for Barcelona and be at his best. And I do think that getting that support from the fans, both on Twitter and in real life, you know, in the stadium and, and who knows, because in this interview, he is even saying how sometimes he doesn't even want to leave his house for fear of how people might look at him or treat him when he's just walking around town. So I at least hope that he feels okay about going outside of the house at this point. But uh, yeah, you know, he has to start putting in some good performances. He has to do something special, at least, you know, a few times every game that he plays in, certainly if he starts. If he just comes on as a sub, you know, maybe there's a little bit more uh, leeway there. If you're only going to come on for 20 minutes, you may not do anything particularly special. But, you know, at least if you can hold it down or, what you know, hold down a lead, something like this, uh, that should be fine. But, yeah, he's going to have to start delivering and uh, doing something with, with that goodwill and turning it into some good performance on the field. Otherwise, those applause are going to turn back into whistles pr- uh, pretty quickly. Exactly. I mean, it's great right now. And hopefully he can use that to have better performances and contribute. But ultimately... If he continues in this run where he's not doing anything, he's going to be sold. And that's just that's just how it is. It's just a fact. And we're going to move on and we're going to get another player to fill his void. You know, Carlos Alenia is coming up. And so I would I would feel much more confident having Alenia take his time, knowing that he's a Barca product, a La Masia product, more dynamic of what we look for in the midfield and just sell Gomes to another team where Gomes it's going to benefit him where he can go to another team and be a starter and hopefully revive his career. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, he was offered to Barcelona thing and he's just not a player that can come off the bench and contribute as much as he does when he starts, for example, in Valencia. And that's just really what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. But right now might just be his opportunity because Sergio Busquets is going to be out for about three weeks And that's our other news item to talk about today because he took an injury in the Chelsea match. The club confirmed that he suffered a fracture in one of the toes on his right foot and he's going to be out for about three weeks. So to put that in perspective, he'll miss matches with Sevilla and potentially, more than likely, the first quarterfinal leg with Roma in the Champions League. And he'll also miss out on any international duty with that break coming up this week. So as for Barcelona duty... He would really miss two, maybe three matches. And so does this open the door for Gomes to make something out of this goodwill he has right now? So that's actually two things kind of coming back to the first thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is definitely a big blow. But I just think uh, the way Val Green has used Rakitic to give Busquets, you know, that breather throughout the year that Rakitic is going to get the top seed in this position. As we saw today in the Athletic match, he's very comfortable in this role. Uh, I just think because he has experience playing in this role, it's just something that he can just slide right into. So unfortunately, I don't think Andres Gomes is going to get this opportunity. Um, But 
you never know, right? Maybe against uh, our next La Liga match. But I think against Roma, he's definitely going to have more confidence using Rakitic, who's more solid defensively and can actually link up the play. Um, as we saw today in the athletic Bilbao match. Well, even with Rakitic now stepping into the Busquets role, does that open up a space for Gomes to play kind of where Rakitic plays then? Well, I mean, as we saw against the Chelsea match, he used Dembele as the right wing. And I think with Iniesta, you know, you're still going to use Paulinho. And maybe that does open a spot, another spot for Andres Gomes, but we will see. I mean, it just all depends going forward. Like today, um, I know it was a La Liga match, so we were able to use Coutinho, but... Who knows? I mean, you're, we just substitute Iniesta for that, and Andres Gomes still doesn't see it on the field. So, right. you know, so that's <laughs> yeah, that's just how it's going to go. But uh, I just think that uh, Val Green just has more confidence with Rakitic in the Busquets role. Obviously, Iniesta, Paulinho, um, Dembele, and yeah. So we'll we'll see how that goes going forward. But I'm not too worried about the Roma match. I just I think I mean obviously they're a good team, but. They don't scare. I think Chelsea scares me more than Roma does. They kind of put that more fear. But also, I just, you know, again, we had another shutout today, um, another one on Wednesday, and our defense is just more sound this year. So for me, I think Rakitic will be able to fill that role perfectly and will give Busquets that rest to come back and then finish off the last part of the season. Well, I think Rakitic will fill the role serviceably. And I like that we have that option because uh, we've seen how Val Green has been sort of de- developing this kind of experiment almost of putting Rakitic into that role. And he's done a good job. He's stepped up. And like you've said before on previous episodes, Rakitic actually does really well if you just put him in a very specific role with a very specific job to do. He can do that. It's it's only when he has to be, I guess, a little more inventive when he starts to not do such a great job uh he's still a great player in any sense but uh when you put him in that role he can he can do it serviceably he's still no Busquets though no I know I mean Busquets is a hall of fame type of midfielder I I understand that I'm not trying to you know downplay the importance of him not being there but at the same time it's only three weeks ideally right and it's only two matches so for me it's not that big of a deal you know if it's something more than you know a month and a half or five games then I would say okay look this is you know Rakitic has done well but who knows what's going to happen in these tight Champions Leagues fortunately we got a good draw against Roma and we're playing at home at what as well the first leg too so that also gives us a little bit of advantage so I just think we'll be okay going forward and you know this is going to give Busquets also a rest as well so hopefully he'll be fresh for the last push the last two months of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I just wanted to make it clear that Rakitic is good and he can he can do the job, but but he's no he's no Busquets. <laughs> but to move on into our community segment, we actually have two big things for this community segment this week. And the first is actually a question from Norway. We got this from a listener in Norway whose name I cannot really pronounce myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it off to one of my old friends who's been living in Norway for many years now and her husband, who's a, a native Norwegian. So I will just say that this email came from... Vibeke Karolina. Vibeke Karolina. And she said this... I am a Norwegian woman that has grown up liking football. I've been supporting my hometown team, Rosenborg, from the city of Trondheim all my life, much thanks to my dad. 
Rosenborg played for years during the 90s in the, in the Champions League, and I saw the games often at the stadium. I have always loved uh, the Champions League hymn also. I did not start watching the Barca games until 2015, but from that moment on, I have almost seen them all. I visited Barcelona in 2001 with my brother, and he has always supported Barca, and we went to the Camp Nou where he bought a shirt with Rivaldo printed on the back. I was just 21 years old back then, so I was not quite there yet to follow football on a regular basis. Now, times have changed, and I feel so lucky to see Barca now. I was very glad when I found your podcast, and the pod has become better and better. I almost always agree with your comments. Now to my question. Gabriel, you love the Champions League hymn. It must irritate you that the crowd at Camp Nou is making whistling noise so the hymn almost gets drowned out. Why do they do that, by the way? Yeah, so as we've talked about in previous episodes, Brian, you know my deep, deep love for the Champions League hymn. I've talked about that if I do get married, it would be played at my my wedding and so forth. Uh, Like, would it be the processional music or would it (laughs) – It would would be – Where do you think you want to put it? Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah, just, just all everywhere, the time. All the time, you know, just like, what's going on? Champions League him. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> no cool in the gang. Uh, no journey. Just Champions League him all night on the dance floor. Everything. I think like once every 30 minutes. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you could tell how long it's been going. Exactly. Yeah, but I, I just love this song. I just love this song because, you know, it just it gives the importance of the match, right? Especially when they do the panning of the camera of the lineup on the field. So, but the reason they do whistle is just because uh, the fans of FC Barcelona are protesting against UEFA because UEFA sanctioned them last season, I believe, or two seasons ago for showing pro Catalan flags. And so that's, it's just continued from that. And so, you know, fortunately, I watch it on TV most of the time. And uh, when they do pump the anthem, it's, you know, it's a little bit louder. But also, you know, if I ever want to hear the anthem, you know, I just have it on my phone and I just pump it through. <laughs> so I can get my fix through there. So you have it's like it's like one of your favorite things. So you just have it ready on your phone at any moment. Exactly. It's in my recording app right here. And I just like anytime I want to hear it, I just touch it and I just get the chills down my back again. And I'm just ready for Champions League. So if you've had a bad day, do you just you just play that real quick and it brightens things up for you it does it's also like it's it's part of my um affirmation in the morning too you know so in the morning <laughs> i just i fire it on i said today's gonna be a great day champions league him yes. cue the music yes <laughs> that's awesome well oh yeah i mean that all that all makes sense and yeah since you're watching it on tv they actually they mess with the uh, audio so that you can still hear it so you're not too bothered by it you would only be bothered i guess if you actually went to a champions league match at the camp new and they were to, to do that but uh, I, I don't actually have an opinion on this, but I did want to say that I've actually been to Trondheim, and I'm, I know I'm probably butchering that, but that was back in 2001. And so this question from uh, Vibeka just was really interesting and fun for me. When I went to Trondheim, it was one of the worst times to travel because it was shortly after 9-11, but we'd already booked the trip, and it was it was long enough after the attacks that flights were running regularly again. But we went to Oslo and Trondheim, and then we also went to Iceland, spent a couple days in Reykjavik. And Trondheim is a really beautiful place in, I think, slightly northern Norway. Not very north Norway, but sort of like mid-Norway, I think. And we took the train from Oslo up there, and that was gorgeous. And uh, I actually I went with the woman you heard there on the recording saying Vibeka's name. Uh, Marie back when we were a couple but that was a great trip lots of beautiful places and people so 
Thanks again for that question. Vibeke Karolina. And thanks to Marie and Björnar for helping out with the uh, pronunciation. Now, on to the other side of the world. We've been talking with people from Peñas all over North America. Hashtag North American Peñas. And this week, I had the chance to get on a call with Vicente Chavez, the president of the Fresno Peña in Central California there. We didn't get into this too deeply in the talk, but... Uh, it's it's mentioned, but I just want to point out that Vicente is only 24 years old, and he has managed to get a really lively Pena going in Fresno in just the last year. And so the question is, you know, how do you do it? Well, you're about to find out. All right, joining me this week is the contingent from the Fresno Pena. Uh, specifically, well, we actually have a, a number of people joining in on the call, but mainly we're going to be talking to the president of the Pena, Vicente Chavez. Vicente, thank you for being on Barca Talk. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having us, having me, and along with the members here with me, and we're here to talk about the Pena and Barcelona. Right on. Glad to have you. Now, so uh, Vicente, just about you, how are you from Fresno or the Fresno area originally? And if so, you know, how did you become a Barcelona fan? What's the story there? Uh, yes, I'm born and raised here in Fresno. I did live in Mexico for about two and a half, almost three years, uh, around 98, 99. I'm 24 years old, by the way. So, okay, so you know, you're you're a young so, guy. You know, I, was, I was really young. I was really young when, when, I, when I lived in Mexico, which is when I first heard of Barcelona in Mexico, my cousins and, you know, my uncles and everybody, you know, they're all fans of Real Madrid due to Hugo Sanchez. You know, my, my dad himself is, you know, a Madrid fan. But, you know, due to that is how I heard about Barcelona. So I only lived like a short, a short amount of time in Mexico, you know, went to school and everybody. So, you know, soccer was, you know, obviously the main out there sure. and um once i came back i just had that you know i had that thought in my head about madrid and barca and so coming here i didn't really have the ability to watch uh la liga games or you know the spanish football league it wasn't up until about i want to say oh three when we had cable well even then that's barca that's pretty league. early on <laughs> yeah oh three oh three is when i first you know saw you know but i didn't really catch on until later on later on in the years when you know i started paying more attention to the team because you know coming coming back from mexico i mean league imec is was what i watched out there you know coming here to the u.s you know my family here you know that's being mexican from guadalajara you know chivas fans you know sure, yeah much where you're raised to be so you know that's pretty much the focus that you know as a child is what i grew up on until you know i was pretty much older enough to focus and be able to watch you know, European soccer, which is by far, you know, much better. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking, you well, know? They, they have and the money, so, right? So they get all the best players. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Barcelona, you know, just the fact, you know, the colors really hit me, you know, the colors is what struck to me, you know, the quality of the play, you know, I feel like it was like a little bit before the Pep era when, you know, I could say I became a Barcelona fan. So it was like, you know, that time right before, you know, the golden years and you know luckily you know i was able to watch and experience everything during the pep era so you know that, a little bit about me you know that's pretty much how it all started you know okay so so the, it, the colors got you first i think that that's interesting yeah i i feel like the the reason why the you know the blue and red was because being from Guadalajara, raised as a chivas fan you know red white and blue is you know the colors there so you know on the way kits 
for them, there was a point where they had, you know, a blue and red, similar to the Barcelona colors on their away kit as well. When I saw that over here, you know, with the Barca kit, you know, I was just like, you know, oh man, you know, well, I'm already used to these colors, you know, there's a few jerseys that I already own to these colors. So I kind of just adopted the colors as well. And I don't regret it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, obviously, you've, you've gone pretty... You've gone pretty far with this whole thing at this point. So, and that actually leads us perfectly into talking about the Pena. So, when, how long have you guys been uh, formed, or how long have you been president? Uh, what's the history of the Pena there in Fresno? We started last year in 2016, in January to be exact. Sorry, yeah, oh yeah, 17, 2017. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah that makes more sense. Me. I wasn't going to correct you, but yeah, Maria, Maria <laughs> just corrected me. Yeah, it was 2017, 2017. Sorry. It was just random. You know, I would always watch the Barca games at home alone. And, you know, just one, you know, I've always had, you know, Barcelona friends, friends that are Barcelona fans. So it just came to me one day, you know, I was up, you know, I was watching a 7 a.m. match. I believe it was against Betis or I, I don't really remember, but I was just like, man, there's so many fans here in Fresno. I don't want to watch Barcelona, you know, matches alone no more. So. You know, it just it just came to me, you know, well, I started hitting up, you know, some of my friends, some of my close friends. I was like, oh, you know, let's let's go watch the game here, you know, on the weekend. You know, let's meet up here. And it was like we were at first we were just meeting up at different spots, you know, whatever was open. And then uh, eventually uh, one of my friends uh, family owned a restaurant and uh, I graduated high school with him and everything. He wasn't too much of a soccer fan. But, you know, I knew him and, you know, he was in the same in the same grade as I was. So I knew him for quite a bit of years. So, you know, I hit him up, you know, I told him, like, hey, you know, well, you know, I kind of have, have this idea. You know, I kind of want to get it going. Do you think your dad would be cool with, you know, being able to open up for our early matches, you know, our later matches, you know, our noon, you know, not a problem. But, you know, just to be able to watch, I was like, I can guarantee you there will always be, you know, not a huge crowd, but, you know, I'll have people there. And so, you know, I guess, you know, he got me in touch with his dad. His dad was cool about it. So, in fact, our first, you know, kind of like official meetup, once we already had like our social media accounts set up, you know, I was like, all right, you know, well, I'm going to get started. I'm going to make a Peña. And, you know, this is going to be our first, you know, official meetup as a Peña. was a 3 a.m. game. Of course. <laughs> and so, so you know, the, the owner showed up. He opened up for us. And there was only two of us. Yeah. And the owner. So, you know, didn't expect much, but, I, you know, I... I'm glad, you know, at least somebody showed up. Right. And so from there, you know, it just, it just, everything, you know, I was really active on social media, Instagram, mostly. And um, I just started putting it out there, started putting the word out there, you know, started letting friends know, cousins, you know, coworkers. And little by little, you know, this was in January. So by the time April came around, which was the first classical, I had already relocated to a different spot. This new spot at what well, at the first original spot, there was no no beer, no alcohol whatsoever. So that's something that you know kind of kept people away because you know people want you know obviously they want to have their beer while watching the game and whatnot. I completely understand. So, <laughs> so we moved to this new spot. By the time the classical came around, I, I don't know how, but like we packed that place out, and that's that's the point where I was just like, all right, you know, this is working out. I'm going to put, you know, this much more effort into it. So, you know, yeah. Like that was a sign that you had really, you, you arrived. (laughs) Yeah. So that's when people were like, Oh, well, you know, 
I heard, you know, I, well, I started seeing people that I had never seen before. You know, they came up to me and they're like, so this is where the, the Barca group meets? Like, yeah, you know, this is us. You know, welcome, you know, join us. And, you know, that's when I, that's when I started meeting the people here from Madeira. And then, you know, later on, eventually I met uh, Lalo and then, you know, he introduced us to his sister, his brother, and, you know, the whole group that comes from Visalia now. You know, everybody just started pretty much finding out about us. You know, the word was going around town like, hey, well, there's this Barca group and they meet up at, you know, this spot. And it's like every weekend they, they're there for the Barca games. And like, I'll, you know, people were starting to, you know, share our pictures, share our information. The thing about here in Fresno, the soccer community is really connected together. So there's supporter groups for, I, I want to say at least, 10 English Premier League teams. Wow. And we're the only we're the only La Liga team. And so with you know, I was around I was around those those uh supporter groups, you know, I'd go, you know, watch a Chelsea versus Manchester United match. And you know, the both supporter groups were in there. And so you know, I met people and this and that and then I ended up, you know, meeting one of the main main top guys that's involved in like the whole soccer community here in Fresno. And so I let him know like, "Hey man, well, you know, I have this going on with Barcelona. I mean, I don't know how how you would take it if, you know, I kind of try to get involved with, you know, the soccer community that you guys have going on. Because they, they're, like, really connected, like, to the point where, you know, if there's, like, a home and away match and there's two supporter groups for both of those teams, well, the the team that's playing at home, the other the supporter group that's away, they'll go watch the, the match at the home bar. So... You know, it's it's something it's something cool and unique that I've been told that many other cities don't have. And so, you know, for example, now that we're now that we're like really really up and running, um, for Wednesday's match, we're at home, so the Chelsea supporter group is gonna come to our pub and watch the match there with us. That's really cool. So, yeah. So you know, for the first leg we went over to theirs. Now for the second leg they come to ours. But you know, that's the thing that pretty much got me to want to start and put, you know, just all the effort into becoming an official Fenya, um, you know, getting everybody involved. You know, that's when I pretty much gathered, you know, the the most active members that I saw. I said, well, look, we're, I, I'm going to start forming like kind of a board. You know, I've been talking to a few, uh, few experienced people. You know, I've been in touch and really, really close touch with Michael Miller. He's been the one that's really gave me the the scoop on, you know, what it takes and what we need, the requirements and, you know, pretty much the step-by-step. Also Eric from LA. So, you know, right now that we are an un- with an unofficial status in the process of becoming an official, everybody, I see so much motivation from everybody that to the point, you know, where, you know, I let them know I was having this interview and they said, well, we'll be there. You know, we'll be there with you, whether we get a chance to be on it or not. You know, we'll be there and, you know, we'll here they are, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And I'm really glad that they came out to at least, you know, be part of the experience. I'm also really uh, kind of blown away by just the how lively the, the soccer culture in Fresno is. You know, I, I grew up in Southern California, kind of like 50 miles out of L.A., out in the desert, you know. And then I lived in San Francisco for about 10 years. And, you know, it's funny because when you grow up and you live in California, you always know about Fresno. But 
you don't know you don't actually know much about it for real unless you actually go there or if you're from there and uh so whenever i think of fresno i think about you know generally kind of um kind of a farming you know very agricultural area um but you know it is of course you you have you know you're a you're a, a, actually a, a very large region of that state it's a there's a lot of people out there and i think yeah it's like it's so cool that you found uh, so many barcelona fans that you could really get this going it's great because there's so much diversity here in fresno where you know we have people from honduras we have people from el salvador and it's like everywhere like from central america we have people from from asia from africa and, you know, they all come together. And it's not just Fresno alone, but, like, the whole Central Valley. You know, there's Madera. Like I said, there's Visalia, Bakersfield, Sanger, Kerman. Like, there's people that come from from literally everywhere, different nationalities. And, you know, it, I don't know. It's just something that, that I, I I enjoy and I pride because it just fits the whole model of the club. Mescom Club, you know, it's more than a club. You know, like, more than a Peña and, like, Everybody just gathers along, gets together for, you know, the same passion that we all share together. You know, whether we have, you know, rival teams in like Liga MX, you know, we're here, you know, for one reason. And, you know, that's Barcelona. So, yeah, you know, that's something really, really cool that, that we have. So uh, as far as the, you know, Mesqueon Club and being Mesqueon Peña, uh, is there anything in the works there beyond just not that getting together to watch games isn't already um, a great thing to do. Of course, that's always the main thing. But just out of curiosity, do you have any plans or any uh, any other things, community uh, things that you're doing or planning to do with the Pena? Uh, yes, yes. We there's there's a couple charities here here in town. The idea has been been spoken about amongst us, and you know, eventually we want to be able. Uh, eventually, you know, we want to. Uh, Kind of like sponsor and help out one of those charities as the soccer community here in Fresno. Well, the area code in Fresno is 559. So the whole soccer community, we name, we call it 559 FC. And, you know, that speaks for everybody. I like and that. So we, every year, every year we already, we host, well, not us individually, but, you know, the, the community hosts a soccer tournament with all the, all the proceeding and all the earnings going towards you know uh, a charity here here in town um eventually we want to find a separate charity that we could uh also help on our own as a peña and you know we're we're, we're start we're we're starting our non-profit as well you know as you know as it being a requirement to become an official peña right so you know the ideas are there you know we're taking everything you know little by little step by step and you know slowly but surely you know we'll, we'll, we'll for sure we'll get there yeah especially with the help that we have you know from all the other you know experienced individuals so right and so now did you say that you're actually still in the in the process of of uh getting status from the club or had you already finished that up uh no we're still in the process of that okay. so yeah we we are not an official thing yet but you know, we we have started the process, and you know we're we're getting things going. You know, like yeah. I, said, I mean, uh, I hear that Michael it's a long Miller. process. It it can yeah, it can take a while. It's a really long process. It's a really long process from you know what I've been, what I've seen, what I've heard. Um, but you know, luckily we have we have the the experienced people. You know, we I have a uh, uh, Victor from Houston, David from Dallas. You know, 
all the experienced people from the already existing official Peñas, you know, they're they're reaching out to us, you know, they're helping us out. And everybody is giving their their little their little grain of sand to to help us out. And you know, that's it's something it's something that I find uh incredible cuz I feel like without their help, it would have took me so much longer to find out the information that I know now. And, you know, eventually once I do know the process and once I go through the process, um, I want to be able to do the same thing for new Peñas that come up in the future. So Cool. Yeah. You know? I mean, like we we talked to Michael. He actually is the one who got me in touch with you. Uh, we talked to yeah, Victor. He, he spoke to me. And uh, yeah, those guys are just they're great and so helpful. And Michael has actually helped hooking me up with all kinds of other people and other Peñas. So, you know, like he's uh, he's just an amazing guy, a real connector. Yeah, he he is. And in fact, uh, he's actually taking a trip. He's coming to California in about 2 weeks. Uh we're we're actually going to meet him in Santa Clara, which is a little south from San Francisco where he's landing. Oh, okay, yeah. On the, on the 23rd of this month. So, Mexico, the Mexican national team has a friendly game that day. It's a Friday. And he's actually going to the game with us. So he, we're going to be able to spend some time, you know, with a few members from, from our Peña, along with him. And then uh, he's going to, you know, continue his trip there for a few more days with in San Francisco. And, you know, he, he's kind of spoke to me about, about his trip. But, you know, excited about, you know, having him here, you know, being able to go watch the the Selección, you know, with him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, cool. I've been I've – been, I've been really, really close in touch with him. Nice. You know, I actually just got a message from Michael Miller. He says maybe one day we can do an interview live from Barcelona together with a little winky face. That actually uh, reminds me, I wanted to ask, like, have you been to Barcelona or have uh, do you have any members on the board or anything who have been to Barcelona, to the Camp Nou, see the, see the team live yet? Um, I haven't personally. It's in the plans for later this summer. Sure. Or this year in the summer. But I do have a member who has been to Barcelona for a Clásico this back, oh. and this was uh, Lalo. He was he was a he was at the camp now for for the Clásico, I believe, in 2016. So he was he was at the camp now um, in December of 2016 for the Clásico. Nice. So yeah, you got it. You got to get the uh, get the Peña together, get a trip, maybe you know combine with some other Peñas, get a whole big. Congress, like the the U.S. Pena Congress, together to go to Barcelona see a match, maybe. That's actually you know an idea that that Michael Miller's uh, brought up to me. He he has a plan, uh, a planned trip to go to Barcelona in late August, early September. He said he's going to be going for I believe a Champions League game and a La Liga match. So you know, two games you can't beat. That's the that's the way to do it. So yeah. Again, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And if you have any announcements or anything going on in the future, let us know. We'll get the word out. And if I'm not mistaken, your uh, your your venue is called what is it? Pine and uh, we we meet at Pine and Palm Brewing in Fresno, three fifty two West Bedford Avenue. For people for people in the valley, they know where the Walmart on Herndon is at. So it's right by the Walmart on Herndon. You know, if you're at the Walmart and you can't find it, just hit me up and, you know, I'll, I'll lead you to it. Yeah. That's Pine and Palm Brewing. And if anyone happens to be passing through Fresno on a game day and they need to see Barcelona, go to Pine and Palm Brewing. The Peña Fresno will be there and they will welcome you with open arms, it sounds like. Yes, definitely. You can follow us on, on social media. Our, our social media name for 
all platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is FCB Fresno. So simple. I just want to thank the, the members who are out here, Lalo, Gilbert, Maria, Alec, Gustavo, and Martin from, from Madeira. All right. Thanks for being on the show, Vicente. Thank you for having us. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great time, man. I appreciate it. And, you know, look forward uh, to, to hearing more of your podcast. All right. Bisco Barça. Bisco Barça. So that was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed that. Now, G- Gabriel, what were you doing when you were 24? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, d- I, was in, I was in Phoenix. I was, I believe, working at a hotel at the time and just trying to figure it out my life, I think. So I was treading water, essentially, Brian. I was treading water in Phoenix, and so that's what I was doing at 24. What about you? Um, when I was 24, I was living in Southern California. I worked at a call center. I was playing in a jazz band in community college and also basically treading water. So, yeah, and I think I think we've kind of got out of that uh, swimming pool of life. So now we're I think we've kind of figured out what we want to do here. But uh, that's really great to hear Vicente at 24 putting together this Pena over there in Fresno. It sounds like uh, everything is going well over there. Yeah, it really is. So it was great to talk to him and, uh, yeah, really impressed because he also works, you know, uh, really impressed with uh, the work that Vicente's been doing out there, and it was great to talk to him. Now, another part of our community is our Patreon page. Patreon is a simple and user-friendly way to support the creative work of folks like us, Gabriel and myself, so if you like the podcast, we're asking you to become a Barca Talk supporter for just $3 a month. The podcast is and always will be free, and those $3 a month are mainly to support the podcast. But also with that $3, you will have access to our La Liga Roundup on Mondays, which we do as a short video, and it's uncut, so you get to experience Barca Talk raw, which can be painful, but also entertaining at times, and any other bonus audio, video, live streams, that sort of stuff. But also, we will hold, eventually, drawings for prizes as we meet various goals that we've set. And our first goal is to reach 100 supporters for the show. Once we've reached that 100 supporter level, uh, we're going to hold a drawing from the pool of supporters for a customized Barcelona jersey for you. Hopefully, it will be a 2017-18 jersey if we can get to that number before the end of this season. If it if it takes a little bit longer, it'll be a 2018-19 jersey. But what you want to do is go to barsatalk.net, click on support, and then click on the Donate Now button to join the community and become a supporter. Thanks. Now, on with the show. Let's talk about FCB Femini. They had a 1-1 draw with Huelva this weekend. Playing on the road, Huelva scored first in the opening minutes of the second half. Macore, uh, playing for Huelva, put it through the legs of our goalkeeper, Panos. But then in the 60th minute, uh, Tony Duggan scored with this fiery shot off a great turn in the box to equalize. Did you see the highlights for this game? Yeah, I did. You sent me the highlights, and I was able to see them. Um, I was trying to find them on YouTube and could not find them, so thanks for sending me the highlights. But, you know, in the last couple of weeks, the goals that we've been giving up have been really, really soft or weak or just really bad decision on our defense. Um, I don't know what's going on with the defense because, you know, lately, like I said, the goals they've been giving up. But also, we haven't been as, you know, disciplined i think on the back line and from the highlights too the other you know huelva had some other opportunities that hit the post and so forth and this didn't happen earlier in the season now i don't know if you know they're kind of looking past huelva because of the champions league match that's coming up 
But again, this was another opportunity loss where they could have really got those points. And Huel was not that great in the in the league. I know they were playing away, but you know, with our talent with Martins and Dugan, we should always try to finish these type of teams away, especially get a goal here. They're just not able to convert lately. I don't know if they're tired just from the international break and going into Champions League. I don't know what's going on, but this was another opportunity lost. Yeah, and I was wondering, the angle that I saw on the highlights uh, weren't, it wasn't so good, but it seemed like it was a similar situation when Huelva scored. It was a similar situation where Panos was maybe like out of her box, either either too late or too early, but she was she was kind of caught out and it went through her legs and, and all of this. So do you think... Again, the, the highlights, you, you really can't get a good sense of it because there was a, the match last week we were talking about where Panos definitely came out of her box either too soon or too late or she just shouldn't have done it at all. And she got you know caught out and she got scored on. And it was a similar thing it looked like to me this week. But I again, did, did you have an idea about that? Yeah, it just looks like the gap between the high line that they, that they play and where the keeper is is just too much. And Panos isn't fast enough to recover. And so, especially on the last week's goal and this goal, they were very similar. You know, there's, it's coming in through that gap. It's not really inside the box. It's kind of outside the box where the keeper has to be more aggressive and anticipate those plays. And unfortunately, Panos wasn't able to do that. Now, I don't know if, if another goalkeeper who's much faster makes those plays. I don't know. But also, it may be just an adjustment that the coach needs to make, maybe adjusting the lines of the defense to, you know, to not have these kind of fluke goals, you know, because I know we had the firepower to win, but lately we just haven't been able to capitalize on our conversions. And that's been really lacking, especially last week against Atletico and this week against Huelva. Yeah. And I, I noticed it also in the highlights. Oh, and by the way, if you want to really catch the FCB Femini highlights as soon as possible after the match, you got to just follow FCB Femini on Twitter that's they'll post highlights that's where they put them first it'll take another day or so for those to show up on the fc barcelona website but if you just follow their twitter account that's the quickest way to find them uh yeah but in those highlights i I noticed that uh, lika martins looked especially disappointed i think after this match um you know because again there were a number of opportunities that they, they didn't finish on they didn't capitalize on and uh it looked to me like martins was visibly disappointed at the after this match yeah and, and also from the highlights that i saw it just looks like they have heavy legs you know where the other team just looks more fresh um they look like they were getting to the balls quicker we just kind of look like we looked as though we were going to show up and win three nothing and it just didn't happen that way and Huelva had some really good opportunities and they were able to capitalize on that first goal but again this week is really important because this is the first leg of their Champions League match against Lyon. And so they really have to have a good showing because if they want to advance, you know, this is a tough team that they're going to play. It's the top one of the top teams in Europe, in the world, and they're going to have to really bring it and not have these fluky defensive lapses that they've had the past three weeks. Yeah, it seems like not a good time of year to have heavy legs when you're about to step into a, a quarterfinal, you know, Champions League tie with probably one of the best teams in the women's game or in Europe right now. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully, you know, the game's on Thursday, so they will have enough time to recover. But again, I just think with the the accumulation of the international games they played, you know, last week's really tough match against Atletico and this Huelva match was sandwiched perfectly to have kind of a spoiler. And we'll see what happens on Thursday. You know, it's going to be a really tough match. 
Um, they're playing away, right? Are they playing away in the first leg? Do you know? Yeah, they're going to be playing in Lyon. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be a tough match. They're traveling there. Um, you know, and I know I've seen videos of the Lyon uh, feminine matches and they have a good crowd out there. So it's going to be a tough, tough match. I mean, hopefully they can get a goal and a way goal, as we always say in the Champions League, and hopefully they can uh, propel that into, you know, some better results going forward. Yeah. Now, on the upside in the in the league, in the domestic league, Atletico Madrid also drew this weekend with their city rivals, Madrid CFF. So at least the league is still tight, FCB Femini trailing by just one point still. And that game had taken place before Huelva, so I don't know, maybe that kind of got in, in the women's heads or something, and they felt like, oh, we have an opportunity here with Huelva, but then they went a little bit soft. I don't know. Yeah, and and hopefully, you know, they, this was just a one-off type of thing and that they're just focused on the Leon game, and they'll have a good showing. So this is as far as they've gone before in the Champions League, and hopefully they can have a good showing. And if they really want to advance in this tournament, they're going to have to have a good away result on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So here's hoping for that. Now, let's turn to Barca B, who also took a draw this weekend with Lorca. And did you actually watch the whole game or just the highlights? I just watched the highlights. Uh, I was out trying to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, so I did not see any of the match. You were out trying to chase the night. I was out trying to chase the night. See how we did that? We boomeranged that back in. (laughs) Good call, (laughs) man. So, yeah, I just saw the highlights. And, I mean, what can we say? I mean, the first thing, we got got a point. So, I'm not... I ain't mad. I ain't mad at you, right? I ain't mad. <laughs> uh, fortunately, though, you know, and again, this was an away match, so that's another good result. And, you know, they've moved up now with this point to 15th, so they just keep a little bit more distance from the relegation. But did you see the game or did you see the highlights? I didn't see either, so I'm counting on you for, for everything here. Uh, the first, <laughs> well, I saw the highlights. So the first one was in the 28th minute. It was scored by Danny Ojeda of Lorca. It was a penalty. Uh, he basically had the goalkeeper go the wrong way. He slotted to the right. But what um, Barca B did in that play before was that Jose Antonio Martinez got a handball in the box. And so he received a yellow card. It was kind of one of those things where the ball jumped up on a bounce and then hit him in the in the arm and he had he couldn't do anything about it. So uh, Daniel Haida converted that. Um, but then the 76th minute, we had a really nice uh, opportunity where we scored um, Mark Surella scored on the equalizer. And it was a really nice, just kind of, it was almost a very carbon copy of the Jordi Alba, how he goes down that side and then cuts it back with a pass. It was exactly that type of play. And uh, Surella was able to score and when it went through the keeper's leg. So it was a really good equalizer. And again, the team has really shown stronger mental toughness. You know, they were down one nothing away. They could have really just sandbagged the match and just kind of said, okay, you know, it's a one-off they, you know, it was a tough match, but they were able to salvage the the match, get a point, and again, they've only lost one match in the last six games. So they're just they're they're playing much much better this the second half of the season, and they're going to have a tough match next week against Osasuna. Uh, that's going to be on Sunday at six o'clock at the Mini Study. Osasuna right now are eighth place with forty seven points. So if they can get a good result here, they're just going to keep climbing up the charts because. The other teams are losing, and if they can keep tying, that's still points, you know, and they're 
I, I really like the way they're playing because especially with Alenia driving them, they're just playing with much more confidence and you can see it. And yeah, so I'm really, really pleased how they've been playing the second half of the season so far. Yeah, I think that the time that Alenia has had in the first team, it hasn't been a whole lot. He hasn't seen a whole lot of minutes on the with the first team this year, but I do get the sense that he is maturing a lot this year. Because if you go back to the end of last season and the beginning of this season, you know, he still looked young and he still looks young. He still is young. But the way that it, the way that he's leading Barca B just he seems to have matured a lot as a player and as a captain. And I think it's really showing in the results that Barca B are getting right now. Yeah, definitely. And and the rumor is that I've read this week so far that Alenia is definitely going to be moving up to the senior team in the summertime, which would be great. But again, it's I don't know if, you know, for you musically, for me, sports, but whenever there's been a moment where you were trying to go to the next level, right? And maybe like I've said, my, you know, when I was younger, when I was playing football, when I jumped to the 15 and 16 year olds, at first I was very intimidated, didn't know how to react, kind of just trying to figure it out. But then once I realized I had the talent and I was able to play and I just had to just kind of up my game and concentrate more and focus, then it just gave me more confidence to go forward. And that's what I really see with this team, you know, and it's really great to see because, you know, these are future, hopefully future players that are going to come in the senior team. And like we've always said throughout the whole season, you know, if they can continue and stay in this segunda, it just helps our development even more. Yeah, in music, there's actually there's an issue that, that we call plateauing. And I think this actually does happen in sports a lot. Also, you see this happen to young, young, promising players a lot of time where they get to a certain point. And like they were good growing up or and they definitely improved and developed up to a point. And then to get to that that next level just requires and this is from a musical perspective. It just requires so much practice, just so many hours of practice that a lot of people don't make that jump. They don't get to that next level. And I think that there is something similar in sport where you see those promising young players, they look great and then they kind of just stop developing because the the amount of work that would be required to really get to the next level uh they just they don't put it in. I mean maybe Delafeu would be a good example of a player like this, right? It seems like at some point he he just is not putting in quite enough work to really get to that next level. And so it's a question with any young player, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, is Elena going to be able to really step up? I certainly hope so, because he looks like a player with a lot of promise and a lot of potential. And uh, I hope that he continues to put the work in and to not just be on the first team, but to deserve to be on the first team and to keep maintaining his spot through the performance and the work that he puts in. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just thinking of the Delofeu, uh example. And I just think because he was so talented, they gave him a quicker leap, you know, to start his professional career, like going abroad to Everton and AC Milan and so forth. Whereas Alenia has stuck with Barca B and now with the Segunda and getting opportunities with the senior team, it's kind of the proper development you want to see in a footballer. You know, you want him to stay in your academy, get this experience with the senior team, but also lead the the B team and luckily for us, we're in the Segunda, right? So he's getting really great competition. And so that's why I'm really hopeful. And I think he's going to do really well for us in the future just because of the trajectory he's been on, the development. And like we've, we've 
noted all year. Like his confidence is growing, the way he carries a team and the way he leads the team. So, um, you know, like we said, the last six matches only lost one and getting points in all the other matches, just really outstanding so far the second half of the season. Yeah. Now let's talk about the first team. First up, uh, we do want to talk about the Champions League match. This was against Chelsea. And, of course, we won. It was at the Camp Nou last uh, Wednesday. We won the game 3-0, giving us a 4-1 aggregate score in the round of 16. So we're ahead in the Champions League, so I'm sure we're all excited about that. Let's talk about the game itself, starting with the lineup, right? We had... It was it was the best we could do, right? Easily. We had Ter Stegen in goal, back four, Sergi, Pique, Umtiti, Alba. Midfield was killer. Busquets, Iniesta, Rakitic. And then... Dembele, Messi, Suarez. Yeah, I was really happy with the lineup, especially with Dembele starting. I think he was going to be the difference maker just with his speed and his ability to create plays. Now, you know, at first when I was watching the match, I thought it was more of a 4-3-3, but after watching some, you know, going into the the wormhole of YouTube, watching tactics videos, it was more of a it was a 4-4-2. But Dembele had a lot of flexibility. And because of his speed that he was able to get up so quickly the right flank, you just think you just thought he was at a four three three, you know? So he, <laughs> yeah. you know, again, I was for me, having Dembele start was the key because I thought with that addition, we were gonna be more dynamic and take more risks, which I was asking for in the previous podcast leading up to this Chelsea match. Yeah, I mean for me, Dembele was actually a surprise, I think. I mean Obviously, we've seen his brilliance at times, and given that he's still new to the squad, still only 20 years old, and he's had a bad year of injuries, I was actually expecting Val Green to be a little bit more conservative and to take his time with Dembele and keep him away from from starting in a big game like this. But I was very happily surprised that he was taking a little bit a little bit of a chance with putting Dembele in. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the last three weeks, it's been leading up to this, you know. Dembele getting more minutes, getting more confidence, getting more, you know, connection with Suarez and Messi. And this was kind of the culmination of all that kind of leading up to with Val Green's planning. So I I just thought being at home, he was either going to use Dembele or Vidal, and we were just going to be more attacking that way, just especially with the width of the Camp No. And I just knew that Chelsea was going to have to chase the match because we had the away goal that definitely helped. So when I saw the lineup, I was definitely more, you know, I was definitely happier that Dembele got the start because I just think, um, you know, it was going to give him an opportunity to shine and he did not disappoint. No, he did not disappoint. And speaking of making Chelsea chase the match, I mean, they were, they already had to chase coming into it. And then three minutes in the whole thing was basically over after three minutes of this match with a goal from Messi. And it was honestly classic Tiki Taka kind of magic, including getting a Chelsea defender in on the action too, right? It was Messi to Dembele off Marcos Alonso to Suarez and then Suarez to Messi. And Messi put it in the goal on this really tight angle through the legs of Courtois with his right foot. And it was his quickest goal ever, I read. Yeah, it was his quickest goal. And yeah, like you said, Tiki Taka, it was kind of like a sloppy version of Tiki Taka. It was kind of uh, not the most fluid thing, but it worked. And Maybe it was more like Tiki Schmaka. There you go. I like that. Tiki Schmaka. <laughs> <laughs> a little Tiki Schmaka here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but it worked, you know, and it worked. And, you know, if you watch the kind of replays, um, it, kind of, it looks as though Courtois was anticipating that Messi was going to cross just because of the angle where Messi was. 
But again, Messi slotted past Courtois' legs. And it's just impressive because in that moment, in the match, I could see him just crossing. But the fact that he took the shot, it's not only surprised me, it surprised Courtois. And, you know, that was the best way we could have started. I mean, I I literally just ordered a beer sitting down at watching this at the bar, and they scored. And I was just, yes, this is the greatest. You know, I get my beer, Messi scores, we're already up one nothing. Like, it was, it was great. It was gravy. Did you tip a little bit bigger for the beer because you were so happy? Uh, we don't tip here. Oh, that's right. You don't tip there. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. In Spain. No. Lucky. Yes. And also, you don't have to pay till the end of your tab. So it's just automatically. Oh, right. And you get free health care. And free tapas. Oh, man. (laughs) What am I doing living in the United States like a sucker? (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to the game. So, yeah, that the opening goal was just incredible and really made Chelsea chase after it. But they definitely, they had some moments, and there was one that I wanted to talk about. This is in the 20th minute, where Hazard was lined up for a shot, and it really could have been a deadly one, but Umtiti came in and blocked it. And this was a huge block, not just defensively, because he sent it way, way downfield, and this block actually led to the play that produced Barcelona's second goal, and Dembele's first goal for Barcelona. I mean, last year and this year, Umtiti is top three center backs in the world. And in this match, him with PK, their, you know, their ability to read the plays, anticipate, make blocks, tackles without causing fouls, you know. Um, the way they had their defensive stamp on this match was impressive, especially because since Chelsea was more aggressive, they definitely had more opportunities than they did in the first leg. I felt, uh, you know, a couple of times they were coming down on the counter and we didn't panic. We had them figured out, especially we definitely focused more on Willian. He didn't have that much opportunities as he did in the first leg. Also, Dembele's speed down that flank negated, you know, a lot of the runs that they had. I mean, Dembele had some blocks as well. I mean, so you're right. You know, Titi had this great block that led to this counter that led to Messi's goal. Or sorry, Dembele's goal. Dembele's yeah, goal, but, yeah. But it was, I mean let's just go through that that whole play. I mean, when TT blocks, it gets, it goes forward. It's just like a ricochet shot, right? And then Messi gets the ball. And then his first two touches, he beats Aspilicueta so easily with that little, it's it's not even a long touch. It's like a nudge. It's, it's a little <laughs> nudge. It's a, it's a nudge enough that Messi anticipated where he was going to go. And Aspilicueta had no idea. Of course, Suarez made the great run to come towards him and Dembele with his speed, because they were so focused on that. He was wide open, controlled the ball, and hit it. You know, at first I wanted him to do a first-time shot because I thought there wasn't enough time, but he was very calm. He collected himself, made sure he controlled the ball, and just hit it to the top left corner, and it was just a thing of beauty. It was. I mean, particularly, I think, the composure that he showed in it. He he knew that he had enough time and space to just take that extra beat, take an extra touch, and really line it up. And it was, I think, time well spent because he just he put it in the perfect place, just high and hot right into the top of the net. It was beautiful. I mean, if that ball goes to ground, it gets blocked. You know, right. It gets blocked. That's where Courtois was. Exactly. And that's where the other defender was. But he was able to hit it hard enough and in the air that it was unsavable in that moment. And again, Messi seeing that run come through and drawing the defenders, it's just... 
it's magical just the way he can play make and the and if you watch the ball that he gives to Dembele it's the perfect pace where it just rolls right to him you even it has a little hop to it where it's very easy to control and Dembele was able to control it and just hit it now for me that was really important because you know as we talked about Andres Gomes not contributing and not having these opportunities Dembele in this huge moment was able to convert and you could just see how happy Messi was for this moment because he knew going forward, this is huge because it's a Champions League. It's against Chelsea, the ghosts that we've had against Chelsea. And obviously Dembele was through the moon, you know, with this goal. It was great. And so in the second half, uh, Chelsea, they came out looking to play football again, and they were actually getting more possession. In fact, the funny thing statistics-wise was that by the final whistle, Chelsea had 44% of the ball, and I really feel like a lot of that came from making up a deficit in the second half that they'd had after the first half, because in that first half, they had very little of the ball. Barcelona were dominating a whole lot of action, and then second half, Chelsea came out, they looked they looked a lot better, honestly, more threatening, they were getting more possession, they were stringing some passes together, and they were kind of making up for that deficit, but uh, speaking of Dembele again and his defensive performance, the first note that I have in the second half is in the 48th minute, he made a big-time tackle in the box, and it was it was top class, because it was, you know, it could have easily been a penalty, or, a, you know, at least a foul, but he was in the box, but he did it perfectly, and he came up big to keep the sheet clean. Yeah, and, and I think it was against Marcos Alonso, too, and he was lining up a shot to really... You know, he had it lined up for a goal and Dembele just came and sweeped it around. You know, it was a really nice play. Everyone at the bar, because it was a lot of Barca fans, you know, we were all just pointing to that, how great that, because he came out of nowhere from the picture kind of a thing. And Because he's so fast. Exactly. (laughs) And that's, it's just kind of, as well as Semedo, that type of, you know, that speed that we haven't had in a long time. It's such a nice luxury to have, especially, you know, that's the thing is that in the last couple of weeks, you know, Dembele wasn't only trying to get his feet wet and trying to figure out his connection with Suarez and Messi, but also trying to understand the tactics that Val Green wants him to play. And I think that was really important because in this match, he was just playing and he was able to go back and understand his defensive responsibilities and go forward when, you know, when um, Barca had the counter, he was able to anticipate. I think he was only caught a couple times where Chelsea was countering and he was trying to track back, but mo- you know, it was super important for his confidence and going forward for us it just gives us so much more dynamic attacking that we lack with Vidal, for example. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, that defensive work was also really great. And then um, in the 50th minute, just a couple minutes later, there was another near penalty for Chelsea. And I uh, I don't know if you remember this play at all. No, I do. I, I remember. And I remember it was a super dive. You know, it was just... You know, there was hands, you know, it was, there was handsy, you know, there was some, there There were some some hands, there was some jostling going around, you know, (laughs) but it wasn't enough for the player to get called for a penalty, you know, and he went down very, very easily. Um, You know, it's kind of funny, you know, through the match, you know, for me, it was an entertaining match, you know, very opposite of what we're used to before with the Chelsea Barca matches that are very nail biting, very tense, very defensive, where we had more. Uh, possession like we we would have like 75% possession but we weren't taking risks I really enjoyed this match because they were going back and forth but I ultimately didn't have confidence in Chelsea's ability because they have Oliver Giroud who does nothing for them (laughs) I mean he was up there doing nothing and 
he was just getting in the way. And so when they were countering, yeah, they would get to that final third, but they, it looked like they didn't know how to play with each other. And they would just do a cross when they should have shot a shot when they should have looked. And so for me, I was completely comfortable with the outcome of where we were heading, you know, especially with the two goal lead. But again, our defense this whole year has just been solid. You know, I don't know if you remember a play, they had a shot on goal and Tersegan went to ground with no rebound. It's those type of fundamentals for our defense that make it super difficult to score on us. And we are so lethal on our counter that especially like on the first leg, when we were able to get that one goal on Christensen's mistake, if you make a mistake on us, we will kill you and we don't give, <laughs> and we don't give mistakes. And so that makes us very, very tough this season to, to beat, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the third goal, which was in the 63rd minute from Leo Messi. It was his 100th champions league goal. Uh, he's still 17 goals behind uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, but with a better goal to appearances ratio. So let's talk about the goal itself. Let's talk about his hundredth goal and how he's one day going to score more goals than Ronaldo in the champions league. Yeah. I mean, this goal was, you know, this was the game set Guillermo moment, right? This was, you know, after he scores his goal, it's we're, we're through it's, it's all good, but it's funny because I was watching uh, the sports show the, the day after, and they had video of Messi where he was massaging his left leg prior to this goal. And it kind of seemed as if he was injured and just kind of massaging his leg muscle. And then all of a sudden he gets the ball and he scores a goal. It seemed as though he was kind of faking out the opponent to say, oh, I'm not going to, oh, just just kidding. I'm sprinting past <laughs> it, you know. But really what, what set up the play was Jordi Alba and Andres Gomes. They were holding the line and they both cut to the center of the goal, which gave that void. And Messi just filled it with his speed. And again, he was able to go five hole in Courtois. And again, that goal was just a thing of beauty. He's, he has these incredible goals against Courtois, you know, and poor Courtois, everything, everyone was putting on Twitter was like this. He was looking on Amazon for new socks. I don't know if you saw this (laughs) and these, and his new socks had a net between the socks (laughs) so that that no one can go five hole anymore yeah i mean you know he's he's a top three you know goalkeeper in the world top four and messi made him look amateur hour out there with these through the leg goals but again messi's 100 goal is impressive i want to know how many assists he has too because that's also got to be very high but yeah he's going to surpass crc at the very very soon yeah no there's i don't think there's any doubt about that now let just to wrap, wrap this one up who was your man of the match yeah my man of the match was dembele um he for me was not only did he score uh he helped a lot with the attacking his defensive responsibilities were huge as we talked as we highlighted his blocking of the shot but again that goal in that moment was huge not only i mean we're gonna we're gonna look back at this moment I mean, I can just see, especially how he played today, he played awesome again today. You can just see the confidence growing, you know, understanding Val Green's tactics. And he is going to be vital for us, especially when we're playing top tier teams like Bayern or Man City or these type of teams where we can't have Vidal playing. We need Dembele, you know, that that type of thing. So for me, he was my man of the match. What do you think of his performance? Same. I fully agree, like wholeheartedly. I think he was clearly the man of the match. He, I mean, of course, other than Messi, right? He absolutely stood out. He is, uh, he's really starting to come into his own at Barcelona, even though he still has all this, you know, youth and he's had these injuries. 
in just a few games, he's really starting to flower, if I could use such a word, and um, and sort of plant his uh, his flag at the Camp Nou. Yeah, and, and you know, there was all this talk about how he was not fitting in the team because of the language barrier. And I, I, I just think that's all BS, you know? I think oh, yeah. they were really looking out for him. I mean, you can just tell by the celebration. They were all very happy for him. They They probably understand his importance going forward to the team, especially with his age, his talent. That's why I pick him for my man. And obviously for me, obviously Messi has had, he was, when I was looking up the statistics on who scored, he had a 10. So, I mean, two goals and assist, and he was, had his thumbprint all over the match. So obviously he was my man of the match first, but since we like to highlight other players, Dembele for me. So who is your man of the match other than Messi? The same, Dembele. For all the same reasons. Virtual high five. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so elsewhere in the Champions League, uh, Real Madrid knocked out PSG, obviously, and they're going to be taking on Juventus in the next round, and they took Tottenham out of the competition. So how do you feel about that uh, matchup? Real Madrid-Juventus. I would feel better if they played at the Bernabeu first, but they're playing in Juventus. And again, I just... I really hope Juventus is able to play a little bit better than they did against Tottenham because Tottenham really took it to them and they should have advanced. But uh, Juventus has a, you know, as they always do, a stingy defense. They played them in the final, in the Champions League final last season. I think they can give Real Madrid a little bit of a problem just because of how disciplined they can be. But I still see Real Madrid advancing through this uh, this round against Juventus. And in, and is that a bad thing or a do you want I mean of course we want Real Madrid to lose but on the other hand wouldn't a Clasico final Champions League final be the Clasico to end all Clasicos? It would but I would be very very scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that I don't know if I could ever take that. That my heart wouldn't be able to take that. That would, that would be a oh my gosh, one game. It's like the biggest bragging rights of all time. That is too much for me to handle at this moment. But I think, you know, obviously as a La Liga proponent, I would like to see the Spanish teams advance. However, with Real Madrid, I'm perfectly fine seeing Juventus knock them out. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not going to be upset if Real Madrid loses, but there is that potential that uh, that gets lost. Uh, speaking of La Liga teams, Bayern is going to be taking on Sevilla. So Besiktas, they're out, and Sevilla eliminated Manchester United. Also cool, so suck it, Mourinho. But um, <laughs> Bayern, Sevilla, I don't see how Bayern isn't going to knock Sevilla out on this one. No, I, this could be, I could see, for example, the first leg, 6 nothing Bayern, that type of <laughs> outage. Just because Bayern's attacking, they're just so strong. Uh, they're, they're the complete opposite of Man United. I mean, how awful was, I don't know if you watched any of the matches of Man U and Sevilla. I mean, I watched both legs. Man U is awful. I mean, <laughs> awful to watch. And Mourinho is a nightmare. He just spent over, you know, close to a billion dollars on getting players, and they're not doing anything for him. So I'm glad they're out of this competition. You know, obviously I'm going to be rooting for Sevilla just as a La Liga proponent, as I said before, but I just see Bayern uh, easily advancing through this uh, this this leg. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, now then, we got Manchester City, who uh, eliminated Basel, while Liverpool beat out Porto. So we have a little bit of little EPL action within the Champions League. Man City, Liverpool. Uh, Man City for me is. I mean, if I'm putting money on it, it's going to be Man City. Yeah, I would too on paper, right? But the funny thing is, I think they know each other so well that 
I could see Liverpool advancing and pulling an upset here. Um, I would, I'm kind of leaning towards Liverpool just to be the antic, you know, go against the grain a little bit. You're rooting against Pep. I'm rooting against Pep. I just, I just think if Man City's out, if they, for some whatever reason, they get eliminated in, the, in this round, it's definitely wide open and it definitely gives us the advantage and leg up in going forward. So I think Man City is definitely the one team that I'm, I would say, can match with us and obviously beat us more than any of the other teams. I think, like, for example, if we if we advance through this round and we get any of the other teams, I'm perfectly fine that we'll be able to advance. But Man City is the one that that scares me. I would say if Liverpool can pull the upset, which they can just because they know each other so well, um, we'll see what happens. So I'll definitely be cheering for Liverpool in this round. Okay. See, because the other uh, possible scenario for a final that I'm I'm interested in is Manchester City and Barcelona because it would be like, it would be like watching Barca play Barca, which is even better than a Clasico. Yeah, I see your point, but uh, it's like Superman versus Bizarro Superman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I like it, um, <laughs> but I, I still, you know, I want to win the Champions League, so I, I would like, you know, you know, if we could play a Liverpool or someone else like that. I think it's just, I get what you're saying. I think it would be very intriguing interesting just like if it would be a real madrid final as well so you know i think the draw came out pretty good for us especially getting roma my my old roommate here in madrid is from rome so we've been texting back and forth so i'm excited to talk some shit to him during this during these two these two matches and against roma all right he was he was the roommate who would be watching like match day five and screaming at the tv right correct that's the same guy that's my that's my boy Gio giovanni so uh we've been texting and i and i told him oh you're you're depending your whole champions league hopes and dreams on ed and jecko nice <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he's the man to watch. Is Edin Dzeko <laughs> correct? You know, failed Man City star. You know, but uh, you know, I, I, you know, finally, I think we've got a good draw where we, you know, we should be able to advance, and especially with the Busquets injury, we should be able to get a good result on the home ground and then go away to Rome and, and close it out. Yeah, no, I feel I feel good about that draw. I'm happy about that, and I think that that's really going to allow us to get on to the next round. Now, let's talk about La Liga. So we played Athletic Bilbao on Sunday. We won the game 2-0. It was match day 29, and so we are still undefeated for this year. In fact, I think the number is at 36 games undefeated in a row. Sounds about right. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. Unbelievable. So let's get into this match. Uh, It was a great lineup, and... A little bit of surprises. Uh, Suarez was not available. I believe he was on a yellow card suspension. So we had Ter Stegen in goal. The back four, you know, the usual suspects there. Sergi, Pique, Umtiti, Alba. And then Pauli and Rakitic is how I'm thinking of it. in As sort of like a 4-2 and then kind of a 3-1 after that. Messi, Coutinho, Dembele, and then Paco was taking Suarez's spot. Yeah, I was excited to see Paco get get up some playing time as we've talked about you know with this 4-4-2 I would much rather see uh, Paco and Luis Suarez as the tandem up there with Messi behind them as a playmaker and then have us three midfields but uh, when I did see the lineup you know I I definitely thought that with Pauli and Rakitic you know those roles suit them very well they don't have to 
be so dynamic. They just have to focus on their defensive responsibilities, make the link on play to Messi or Coutinho, and just be ready for the counter. And the way Athletic Bilbao is playing this year, you know, they haven't been playing the greatest. Uh, again, I don't know if it's just because, you know, their last coach was Ernesto Valgreen, you know, so, you know, maybe he did so much more for them than people realize because this year they, they're not doing very well. Uh, Williams has taken three steps back this year and, you know, I, I knew we were going to have a good result just because of how we've been playing and how they have been playing as well. Yeah. Well, I was interested in how Rakitic and Pauly were lining up because a lot of times they were actually kind of one in front of the other, right? Pauly was more in front and Rakitic, he was doing that Busquets thing where he drops back and becomes a center back when Sergi or Alba or both are a little bit more forward and then they get a three-man back line, but then Pauly can drop and now he's now he's doing the link-up action. Um, but then also when they're attacking, Rakitic is the first kind of central distributor. And so he has, of course, options to the left, options to the right. But he also has Pauly right in front of him for the immediate link up to try and move the play forward that way. Yeah. And, and you know, for like we've talked about before, Pauly is good being physical. Um, he's not the most dynamic player where he's going to shake someone off 1v1. So that's why I thought he was going to have not a unless de- he does it with his shoulder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I I knew he was going to have a decent game just because of the way Athletic Bilbao plays and the way Val Green was going to set up the team. So, and he did. He didn't do anything not great and not not good. I mean, like he was just you know above average. But that's what we expect in that that role. Which is funny because if Andres Gomes plays in that position and has the same type of performance, you know, I would probably say it was a little bit boring. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little bit more biased with Polly just because of what he's contributed this year so far. Well, yeah, he's he's not looking as strong or sharp as he ha- had at one point when you were, you know, naming him as your man of the match other than Messi just before the new year, just before Christmas. Maybe he's not quite putting in performances like that lately, but, you know, he did put those performances in and he still is a stalwart. You know, he's still dependable. You know what you can get from him. He delivers. He works hard. He knows his job. So talking about the game itself, you know, in the first half, Athletic actually started off with some pretty high pressure. But then after an eighth-minute goal from Paco, Barca were well in control. And to me, it really looked like it was going to be just a goal bonanza. You know, even if sometimes they were making one too many passes, maybe trying to be too tricky or clever, I don't know. It was sure fun to watch, but I could have sworn that this was going to be 4 5 nothing. Yeah, and especially from the beginning, they were really passing the ball well, moving well. They had opportunities, um, but they weren't able to get the goal. But, you know, in that eighth minute, Paco was able to open up the scoring. And as I predicted before, you know, I just love the way Paco has been a, a supreme professional this year. Whenever he's called upon, he plays really well. He scores, and he doesn't complain. I mean, obviously, he, he he wants to play more, but if he keeps producing the way he's doing it, you know, Val Green's going to have more faith to use him, hopefully, and he's just going to get more playing time. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, like you used to say a number of weeks back, another game, another goal for Paco. It's like it's not out of the ordinary. Like, he'll play a game, he'll get one goal, more than likely. Exactly, and it was and it was – a good way of opening the matchup, right, to get that goal, that early goal, because then we were able to open up the match even more. Again, Paco was in the right position at the right moment, you know, anticipating Alba's pass, 
and just slotting it. Now, there was a little bit of controversy there where some of the commentators thought that Alba was offsides uh, for the messy pass. It's hairline here or there, obviously, but uh, again, Paco anticipating where Alba was going to pass, and of course, he was wide open in the middle of the box, essentially, and he just redirected that pass to the far right corner. So really good, um, really good job by Paco there. Hands up for Paco. Yeah, hands up for Paco. And as far as the offside thing goes, I mean, it's, I don't know, the the commentators that I was hearing were saying, because I was watching this on BN, so I had Ray Hudson and Phil Shane, two of the best in the business, and I love them. They, were, they basically said, yeah, he was offside, but it was so close that you can understand why it wouldn't have been called. So the way I look at it is, well, it could have been called offside, it wasn't. And there are times when... Like last week, Suarez was called offside twice when he shouldn't have been. He was clearly onside. And so, you know, you you have to take the kind of the philosophical, cosmological view of it, which is in the grand scheme of things, it in theory all roughly balances out. So, you know, yeah, it could have easily been called offside and we're just we're glad and lucky that it wasn't. Yeah. and, And that's the thing is that play happened so fast. It was on the far side. You know, if there's a linesman on that other side, maybe he calls it. But again, it just the play developed so quickly. It was a hairline. You know, it's not, it wasn't as if he was, you know, four meters in front waiting for the ball. So it wasn't anything like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was really tight. Yeah, yeah. And and again, you know, the opening minutes there was just so much uh, attacking by us. We looked plugged in. We looked ready to go, and that's good to see because especially after Chelsea match. You could see us, and especially at this time, at the four o'clock time, you could see us, you know, sleepwalking sometimes. And in the past, we've done that. But you could see from the get-go, we were looking to score early and get that game set gear moment out of the way as quick as possible. Yeah. Now, the the next thing that happened for me that I thought was notable was actually in between the first and second goals. And this was when Umtiti took a yellow card in the 17th minute. And I'm not entirely sure what it was for. I mean, he was clearly not too happy about how he was getting messed with in the box during the lead up to a corner kick. And he definitely got agitated. But I don't know, unless he was giving the referee some dissent for not penalizing the guy who was messing with him in the box i don't see why he would have been booked at all do you understand this call no i, I don't really remember this play either because when you had it in the notes i you know unfortunately i couldn't find any of the highlights when, when we were going through on this moment but i mean it usually in the corner kick area and all that it could be for dissent and just arguing chirping the whole time you know especially if, if umtiti is trying to make a point that this is happening more than once um, and the referee doesn't want to hear it, then obviously it's going to give him the yellow card. So I imagine that's what happened. I just, I think it was probably dissent. That's probably the easiest thing that, you know, because he didn't do anything else, right? It wasn't anything physical. So I'm no, sure. No, not really. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing, nothing worse than what he was getting already. Exactly. So, you know, I have a couple of things that I want to say about the referee in this match, but I want to save that for just a minute from now. Let's, <laughs> let's actually talk about the second goal in the 30th minute from Messi. And this play blew my mind. It was it started with Sergi, really. Sergi poked the ball out of some trouble at the halfway line, straight to Pauly, and then Pauly out to Dembele. Dembele back in for Messi. Perfect finish from Messi with power and accuracy. Yeah, and before Messi gets the ball, he's waving at Dembele to let him know that he's open in the middle. And Dembele sees that, obviously, and gives him the ball. And Messi already knew he was going to take the shot just because of the space he had. And, of course, like you just said, the pace 
and the accuracy of that shot. And, and also Kemba got a hand on it. You know, he got a little bit of a touch, but with the ball hit so hard, he couldn't stop it. And it was just such a great goal. And I mean, Messi's on fire, man. He's just, uh, someone tweeted at me on Wednesday. We have Messi and you don't, you know, my, my <laughs> famous saying that I, that I like to say. So, uh, but I have an interesting side note for you. You know, as I mm-hmm. always say, my guilty pleasure is ESPN FC. Right. So during the match, so the match hadn't even maybe I want to say like five minutes into the match, ESPN FC tweets out a thing, uh, like a picture of Mo Salah from Liverpool. Mo Salah has the most goals in Europe with 28 goals. Great. Happy for him. And the next guys are all with 24, and that is Messi, Cavani, and someone else. I can't remember right now. Oh, Harry Kane. And an ESPN FC says. Salah's having a tremendous year. He's even leaving Messi in the dust. <laughs> now, Brian, I'm not a math major, <laughs> but is four goal differential with two months to play leaving in the dust? I mean, yeah, I don't know the mathematics behind, you know, what is the dust line yeah, when exactly. it comes to goals? And of yeah. course, Messi scored his 25th. So I tweeted at them. I said, uh, Messi just scored 25. Want to update your your stats there? So again, it's just uh, you know ESPN FC with their Premier League bias. It's just ugh, it just drives me crazy sometimes. Um, but anyway, I digress. So Messi with his 25th goal, awesome. I think with that moment, that was our game set gear moment of the match. Yeah. Now, so speaking of all the chances that Barcelona had, I actually had a list going, and then I just realized like this is too many things to talk about. So rather than talking about all the chances that Barcelona had in the first half, let's talk about how many saves Kepa had to make in the first 20 minutes. He had to make five saves in the first 20 minutes, and then there was another one that the crossbar saved for him. So Kepa, actually, the goalkeeper for Athletic Bilbao, he had an amazing game. He only allowed two goals, and he made a lot of saves in this match. He was looking great. So do you know anything about this guy, about Kepa? I know that he's young, he's tall. He's a Spanish international, uh-huh. and clearly he's very good. Yeah, so he's very young, and there was a huge controversy this year with him and Real Madrid. So Real Madrid wanted to sign him for next season, essentially, but they wanted to get him during the January transfer. But obviously, they lowballed him, and they didn't want—you know—they didn't want to pay Athletic Bilbao the, you know, what they were demanding and so forth. So basically, he re-signed with Athletic Bilbao for the next five seasons. Give, basically giving the middle finger to Real Madrid because Real Madrid had been negotiating through this, trying to get the best deal, obviously, but they've been doing this since August and they just weren't able to close the deal. So Kepa decided to stay with Athletic Bilbao. So he signed, I think, another four or five seasons with them. But he is a special player. He is uh, very talented. He's young. He's going to be the new national uh goalkeeper of the future essentially and you know he single-handedly kept athletic Bilbao in this match because like you said it could have been four three five nothing uh, in the first 20 minutes and it could have been really ugly but you know as you saw even in the Messi goal he was able to get a hand on the ball but with Messi's pace on that ball he was unable to save it so again Kepa is a bright star for the Spanish national team and as well as athletic Bilbao yeah 
So I'm very excited to see how he uh, progresses. And I like that he just, you know, stuck it to Real Madrid and said, no, I'm just going to stay in, in Bilbao. I'm happy here. You get more chances to make saves when you play in a team like Athletic Bilbao, <laughs> especially right now. So, Exactly. I, I think it's really cool because, you know, most players would have gone to Real Madrid and just waited. I think that was really uh, brave of him to stay with Athletic Bilbao to basically bet on his talent to have more opportunities in the future. So really good on him. Yeah. I mean, he's got it. So, you know, give him another five years. If he wants to finish out that contract, he'll, he'll probably be able to go wherever he wants. But so let's talk about this booking, this Dembele booking. This was in the 39th minute and uh, he had committed a foul. There's no doubt about that. It was certainly a foul. He took down Saborit. I don't think it was bookable, but here's the thing. This was a game that became increasingly difficult for the referee to manage, and it was actually totally the referee's own fault. And I just want to give you one example. In the second half, 54th minute, Messi was taken down by San Jose just outside the box. San Jose came in from behind, took him out at the ankles, no yellow card. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, because what happened was Athletic, they got sort of confirmation. I mean, going into this match, I think they might have had a sense that this was the case. But after a few minutes of the game, they definitely got confirmation that they were outclassed. They were going to get totally outplayed. And so they got more physical. That's not unusual. You know, you got to do what you can to try and compete in a game. I totally understand that. And it's not strange. But the referee was letting them do that, maybe a little more than he should have. And I, it almost made me feel like he was trying to sort of even out the game for them a little bit, not picking sides, but just saying like, okay, he notices obviously that Athletic Bilbao are being outplayed, that they're outclassed. So he's going to let them push that envelope a little bit more. And then it just starts getting out of hand. And Athletic only got two bookings in the first half, but it could have been one or two more for some of the fouls that they were committing. And so then naturally also like Umtiti was getting frustrated. He gets a card. Dembele, he, you know, again, it was a foul. It was it was fine, but why is he getting a card? I think the referee was putting his own hand into this match too much. It's almost as if they were playing in Bilbao because the calls that they were getting is as if they were playing the Sam MS because that's how the referee would kind of call this type of match. And I think he forgot that, you know, they're playing at the Camp No, and Barcelona should have, you know, that's why you play at home. You have these type of advantages, you know, non, I don't know what you would call it, like, non-verbal advantages i guess i don't know yeah something like yeah, that. yeah where <laughs> you know you play at home you're gonna you most likely are gonna get more calls your way and the referee did not favor barcelona he allowed bill you know you already know bilbao is going to always be a physical team so giving them that ability to you know walk that line to be very physical and to stay in the match you know that's the referee's decision and yeah why does Dembele get a card there? You know, why why aren't other Bilbao players getting more um, cards? We don't know. This is the beauty of the objectivity of the referee, you know. <laughs> or so, the subjectivity or of the, the subjectivity, referee. Subjectivity, sorry, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to go all English major on you first. Ugh, sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I can do that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But, I mean, talking about the second half, though, I will admit Athletic played a lot more positively. Uh, they didn't have a lot of great shots, but they were playing a lot better. And they got Barcelona on the back foot a lot more with their footballing, not just with their shoulders and elbows. And Barca were not nearly as threatening as they were in the first half. And I do wonder if the direction from, from Val Green 
at halftime was to just focus first on maintaining the lead, not sitting back, because they weren't doing that, but at the same time, not taking on too much risk. They were already up two goals. Yeah, look at the players we had on the field. Those players, their primary goal is not to possess the ball, right? So you knew the game was going to be a little bit more back and forth. That's what we've been having this season. This season's definitely shown us that, you know, it's just a lot more back and forth. But since we can rely on our defense, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I think, you know, I was thinking about this years before, you know, we had the possession. And obviously the theory of that is that the other team doesn't have the ball. Great. I understand that. But the other thing too is that since our defense was not tested before, I think, you know, against like a Chelsea and a Champions League prior, when they have two opportunities, we don't know how to handle it because we're not in that kind of mode of winning ugly. And I think that's really helped us this season. So again, in the Chelsea match and this match, where it was kind of a little bit back and forth. I feel fine with that because I know that ultimately if we really need to, we can score another goal easier than they can, you know? So yeah, Athletic Bilbao played better in the second half. The commentators were noting about that, but again, they can't score. So it doesn't matter how well you look aesthetically on the screen playing. And if you can't score, then, you're just not doing it, you know? So, you know, for me, the second half was kind of cruise control for Barca and that's fine. You know, they were able to get the points and continue our unbeaten streak. Yeah. Well, you can also just look at the substitutions that Val Green made and you can see where, you know, where he was going to go with this match, starting with putting in Iniesta for Dembele. Iniesta, of course, is one of the greatest of all time. He's still, he's brilliant. He has incredible vision. He's a threat. But, you know, also you're taking out Dembele, who looked incredible in this match. So putting in someone, again, who he he knows he can count on, he knows he's dependable, he knows what he can get out of him to see out the victory. And then 74th minute, he puts in Vidal for Paco. So here he was completely changing up the tactics to the point where he doesn't even have a proper striker of any kind. Not that there aren't any scoring threats, but there just there wasn't a center forward threat anymore. I mean, why doesn't he just let Paco finish the game? I mean, that just drove me crazy a little bit. It's, okay, put Vidal, but maybe put Vidal for Dembele and then Coutinho for Iniesta or something like this type of substitution pattern. But for me, you know, I feel really bad for Paco. I mean, what else do you want him to do? You know, he he played really well. He scored a goal. Just let him finish the match. I mean, it's just, it's got to be super frustrating because he is playing well. He's doing what the manager is doing, and then he plays 75 minutes, you know. Like, and, uh, and he knows he's not going to play Paco in the next match. Exactly. That's the other thing. So, oh, man. I, I, mean, I mean, maybe he is, but come on, let's be real. No, he's not. Yeah. And then, obviously, the last substitution with Gomes coming in for Coutinho. I mean, again, with our defensive four, the way Rakitic and, and um, you know, Paulina were holding it down for most of the match, Athletic Bilbao just doesn't have the creativity or the ability to be clinical to score. So, I was very comfortable with the where Val Green was taking our team. And, you know, we got the points, and that's all we can say. Still unbeaten, and another shutout. I mean, I don't know how many minutes now is this with Ter Stegen's shutout streak. It's got to be pretty impressive now. And, again, I think it's past 16 shutouts for the season, which is crazy. crazy. Yeah, I, I don't even have those stats in front of me, but you know that it's going to be good. We should We should look into that and talk about it next week. But let's talk about man of the match. Yeah, my man of the match, other than Messi, was Rakitic. Uh, I think, obviously, filling in for Busquets today. I think, overall, he just had a really great game. He didn't make too many mistakes. He was solid through through and through. And, again, just linking up the play 
with the defense to the attacking third, I think was just very fluid. You know, Rakitic is just such a cerebral player. You know, he understands the flow. He understands what's going on. And to be able to plug him in in this Busquets role is such a nice, nice luxury to have. If, for example, Sevilla, if they lose Nzanzi, which is their Busquets type of player, they don't have anyone that can fill that role. There's a huge drop-off. And obviously Busquets is a Hall of Fame type of player. I think he, you know, he makes amazing passes and all these. But with Rakitic, he he can fill that void enough where defensively we don't lose a beat. Now, linking up play, I think Busquets is on another level, obviously. But for me, I think Rakitic had a great game. So uh, what did you think of his performance in this match? I thought it was great. And I thought he, again, I thought he he plays a great holding midfielder when you ask him to. And I really like that Val Green had the foresight to put him in that position here and there earlier on in the season to let him get more comfortable in that role in various times when Busquets either was on a yellow card suspension or if he was whatever tired, it was a weaker opponent and they wanted to try it out. He's given him the opportunity to do that uh, for Rakitic to do that and to develop playing in that role and you put him in this game against athletic which again they aren't they aren't playing great this year they aren't getting great results but they're still athletic they still have a ton of great players and they're going to play you physically and they're going to cause you problems and he absolutely delivered in that holding midfield role and like you said yeah his link up action wasn't quite exact you know it's not quite what you expect from Busquets but I think tactically Val Green uh, allowed for that as well by having Pauly in front. And so that Rakitic, all Rakitic had to do was, okay, either you go out to the right to Sergi, you go out to the left to Jordi, or you can just go forward for Pauly. That's, those are your three things that you have to worry about, or you could just turn and pass it back again. And he did yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think he just, you know, overall was able to, you know, plug the dam essentially, you know, but you know, Rakitic is so cerebral, so good, so solid. I remember a couple of times he was on the line and he would get the ball from Alba and he was looking behind his back. And so, and I never really see him do that, but obviously in this role, he has to be completely aware of everything around him. And, you know, for those couple moments, if you just put the number five on him, he looked exactly like Busquets in those moments, you know? So uh, really nice luxury to have. I think really great decision by Val Green early in the year to, start using him in that role just in case, because I think he knew that he was the best man for that job. So as you can see, just managing the players and the injuries and thinking ahead has proven to be successful. So who was your man of the match? Huge. It's been totally huge. Totally huge. (laughs) Who was your man of the match other than Messi? I'm going with Sergio Roberto and here. Okay. Here's the thing. All I know is here's what I know. Ray Hudson was saying that even though Sergi didn't make it onto the uh, onto BN's Man of the Match graphic, he should have been on the list, at least. He wasn't at the center of the action for either goal, but he did make a key pass for the second goal, and I think that Sergi was doing that kind of Busquets thing, not in the way he plays, not in his position, but you know how Busquets can be doing amazing things, but he's stealthy about it? I think Sergi was doing a similar kind of thing in this match. No, he didn't do anything that is going to be on the highlight reels. But there's something about what he did contribute down that right side, playing the Iron Man role that he does, where at any one moment he can be, you know, obviously playing right back, which is his first thing. But then there are moments where suddenly he's 
playing right mid, or he's even a center forward for a second, and he's good in all of them. I think he was doing something kind of like that, where you don't, you didn't even really notice everything that he was contributing, but he contributed a lot to this game. Uh, hmm. <laughs> you don't like it? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I don't know, man. I get bored with with man of the match, so I like yeah, to, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know I love Sergi, so I I'll know, just give it to him. <laughs> when, I, when I saw you put Sergi, I was like, oh. And why why does he have like a heart next to this name? It's <laughs> 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 Why does it say Sergi and Brian forever? Correct. Number four ever. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think obviously I would say top was messy, you know, and then everyone else, everyone obviously. else had a solid match, right? PK, right. GT, right? So, so I get what you're saying. You know, he, I can see that, you know, he was able to put his, uh, you know, his thumbprint in the match without really forcing anything and, he had an overall solid match. Okay, that's fine. I that's you know, I'm not gonna knock it, obviously, but <laughs> I you know it's that's the thing is that no one really had an outstanding match that was obviously besides Messi, right? But no one other than Messi had this super game. You know, true. For example, Paco scores, so maybe you go towards that. But overall in the game, he didn't really do anything to that stood out. You know, and so yeah. So oh well. we'll I mean, see. maybe Dembele. Honestly, he yeah. had another good match. Yeah, Dembele. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. It's it's just your opinion, man. It's just your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I love Sergio Roberto, and you don't. And that's fine. <laughs> I mean, you like him, but yes. not like I like him. That's yes. all. I just like I completely. Him as, I just like him as. I just like him as a friend. So right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Understood. Now the next match is actually going to be on March thirty first because we do have an international break coming this week. But this next match in La Liga will be against Sevilla. Anything to worry about with Sevilla? It's going to be in Sevilla, so we're going to be on the road. There's always going to be a concern there. I just think, you know, I watched them play against Manchester United. They're decent, you know. Uh, but again, they're in fifth place in La Liga. They're not playing that great. But in the Champions League, they're a different team. But they don't have that final third striker that strikes fear into you. Now, I know they scored two goals in Man U, but they were... It was more about uh, Man U's defense and then Sevilla's attacking ability kind of a thing. But the one player I really do like on their team is Enzonzi. He's, like I said, the Busquets midfielder type of player. He was really, really, really good on the Manchester United game. He was able to control the play. He just extinguished any type of uh, attacking play by Man U. He's a physical presence. So I guess he's the one player I would worry about. Again, playing at the Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan, that's a tough place to play. But I just think, you know, with this break, um, it's going to do us well and we're going to be able to get those points and continue the unbeaten streak. I fully agree. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm a football pundit. Yes. (laughs) Now, for uh, we we are going to talk about the rest of whatever happened in La Liga this past weekend, but that is going to happen on Monday afternoon slash evening depending upon where you are we're going to do that as a video on our patreon page so please do consider going to our website barsatalk.net find the support page and click on the donate now button to become a barsatalk supporter for just three dollars a month and that's again if you just if you like the podcast and you want to help us make it better keep it going all that sort of stuff but then as a small thank you for that we have this monday video where we do the La Liga roundup and we also pick up any loose ends that might have been left over from when we recorded the podcast but this week 
that's really just going to be catching up with La Liga. And uh, that is also where we, we like to get a little bit wacky, a little bit weird. So things can happen in the uh, the Monday videos that don't necessarily happen on the podcast. So do consider becoming a supporter on our Patreon page, and then you can f- see those videos. Barza Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barzatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barzatalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.